right. Awkward silence. Good morning, guys. Come on, JP's here. All right. Uh, if this is your first time with us, welcome. Uh, we're going to worship for a bit, so if you're comfortable standing, cool. If you're not, I won't notice. So. Uh, all right. Uh, Jesus, we just invite your presence. Um, we ask that as we sing and open ourselves to you, that you do what you want to do, God. Uh, I pray for those of us, um, actually earlier we were praying uh, as, as a team, and just the idea of honesty, God, I pray that we can come and be honest with you, wherever we're at today, um, near or far, um, joyful, angry, somewhere in between. I just pray that we could just be real with you, God. I know that you show up. So, uh, Jesus, just, just bless our time. Amen. like a
we are his portion. So we are his portion. He is our prize. Drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're all seen. So heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss and my heart turns violent. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way yeah, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves Yeah, he Your kingdom 
Everything I need, you will provide. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you would get the word reverence. I just pray you breathe reverence into our hearts, God. Pray we would be feel the weight of your glory, of your um, your vastness, God. Just come, Holy Spirit, over the service, over our time together. I just feel like we're supposed to kind of to end there on a note of um, just awe and respect for you, God. Thank you for being a good father. Um, help us to grasp how great you are as well, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Good morning, guys. I'm like, I got a little bit of worship on, so I'm getting some of my sweat off. I, I unlayered. <gasps> Sorry, I got distracted by a friend. Um, you've heard the word overwhelmed. I'm whelmed <laughs> at the moment. Um, Lord, we just, um, just as Ryan was praying, just that reverence, God. Lord, you are awesome. Lord, that, that word is sometimes overused, especially for those of us who grew up in the 80s. But um, God, you, there's just, you are indescribable. You are mysterious. You are vast. You're the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You were and are and will be. You're the breath that gives us life. And Jesus, we just, we give you praise and we give you honor and we give you glory this morning, God. The maker of heavens and earth. The maker of us. Lord, we give you praise this morning. Amen. Um, we're going to have a quick announcement. Um, my friend, could you pull up the video thing so minimize the... Um, it's like the bluish square next to the black one to the right of it. Try it again. Uh, there you go, master. Look at that. I don't even have to be back there. Okay, um, we're going to watch a quick video about an upcoming opportunity for some of our ladies. And then I'll kind of let you guys know what's next. So let's watch this. On behalf of our planning team, I'd love to invite you to the season women's retreat this month. This event will be hosted by Mountain Vineyards in Covington, Washington on March 25th through 26th. 
Pastors Michelle Paxton, Judith Kish, Debbie Bleehart, and I will be singing. As we prayed about the season, examining the seasons of life, we felt the Lord remind us to look at trees as a representation of our lives. In winter, the tree may seem bare and lifeless. In the spring, it may seem full of buds and promise. In summer, the tree may be laden with blossoms but smell sweet. In fall, the tree could be full of fruit and fulfillment. We see in this picture that in our life, we cannot be measured by only one season. The tree is still alive and rooted in the soil in every season. As a spiritual picture, the essence of who we are can only be measured when we look at the whole of our life. As we see in Ecclesiastes 3.11 from the Amplified Bible, God has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its season. He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. During this two-day event, we'll worship together, have opportunities for prayer and ministry, study God's word, and connect with each other in small groups. The weekend schedule and registration details are available in the included PDF or at the website. We pray this retreat can serve as an opportunity to reemerge and reimagine life after this long, difficult season. Hope to see you all there. So my friend Cindy's from Texas, which is why you got the y'all. Um, so ladies, if this is something that you feel like God's stirring in your heart, and if, as you enter the front door, there's little flyers there. I would encourage you to get a flyer, look at it, prayerfully consider um, about attending that. I think it'll probably, it'll be, you know, just an awesome time. So just encourage you to do that. Um, we're going to take a quick break, but before we do, if you came in over here and you didn't get communion and you didn't get one of these cards... I want you to go to the front entrance and make sure you get one of these cards and get communion. We're going to do something a little bit unusual today. That's okay. God's not, you know, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, as it says in Hebrews 13.8. However, prophetically, he's always asking us to kind of switch stuff up and speak into things. And so we're going to do something just a little bit different this morning. So you need one of these. And you need a communion. And I'll explain more about those later. There's your teaser to stay till the end of service. Uh, so why don't you stand up, go greet a couple people, and then we'll be right back in just a couple minutes.
Okay, can I have you guys please go ahead and start heading back to your seats? I'd appreciate it. I feel like I'm a little bit boomy, but that's okay. Um, Michelle felt like God was saying, sharing something to her, with her. And um, what he was sharing with her is like 110% in line with what I'm going to be talking about today. So let's listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying. So while I was worshiping, I just got this just um, overwhelming feeling that, that there were he people here, we, us, that there were things not of God, but that we've lived with for so long, they became comfortable. We know we need to let them go. We have no idea. I don't, like, like it, my heart, my cry was, God, help me figure out how to let go of this because I've been, it's been a part of me for so long that, that I have no concept of how to even begin to let go of it, even though I know it's not of God. And I know that God has something better. And I just feel like there are many of us that have this thing that we can't seem to let go of. We want to, but it's just been with us for so long, and we just need God to show us how. So that was my prayer for everyone here. So I want you to to that and remember that because what she said goes along with this little thing. And that's... The Holy Spirit, when he's speaking to us and through us, and we're, we've got our active listening ears on, that's kind of stuff that he does. So just encourage you to kind of just keep the word that Michelle shared in the back of your head as we're going through the message today. So we're going through the Gospel of Luke. Luke 31, 1 through 20 is kind of the one we're going through this morning. And this is talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a super cool guy, a little bit weird, most prophets are pretty weird, if we're being honest, at least the ones I've known. Um, and he's also been referred to as the fiery witness, and some of that's from his kind of his own words. Um, so the Gospel of Luke, which is said in the first century, the nation of Israel is living under this heavy hand of Rome. Rome has completely kind of got their thumb on them, right? And there's all these difficulties going on. Like they're really struggling because... Their freedom of religion has been repressed. Their freedom of movement has been repressed. A good portion of everything that they earn has to go to the nation of Rome. Um, like, it's just, it's a really tough time for them. And then there's this man who appears on the scene. Who kind of starts to switch stuff up. He's, he's setting the way for the one who's to come behind him. His name's John the Baptist. And when he's called John the Baptist, it doesn't mean my friends down the road at First Baptist. It's just the John, although John was the first Baptist. <laughs> no. uh, John the Baptist was this, this great guy. He, like, lived in the wilderness. There's, you know, growing up, I remember my little flannel board with the stories about John the Baptist eating the locusts and honey and, like, thinking how weird it is to eat bugs. And, like, that's what, you know, if you want to get a young boy engaged with your teaching, talk to them about eating bugs, because we would eat bugs. And so, like, you know, we had something in common with John. But John is such a man of character that some people start thinking 
that he's actually the Messiah. Because when he preaches, people listen. People want to follow him. Like, he's exciting when he's talking. And he's got influence over a, a broad swath of the population of the Israelites. And, and so some people are starting to think, maybe, maybe this guy's the Messiah. John's this amazing man of complete humility. Because when people start asking him if he's the Messiah, he starts talking about how he's not even worthy to untie the sandals of the true Messiah. Like, and that was a job for a servant. When you walked in a home, the servant would untie your sandals and wash your feet and clean you up so that you could then enter the rest of the house. And so John was saying, like, here's this guy of great influence. Think of somebody who has lots of influence and lots of voice. I know from some of my lady friends, maybe Brene Brown would be one of those people. And like she's telling people about this other person coming behind. And she's like, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. You know? So he had this great humility, even though he was a person of personal power and influence. And we need more leaders like that. I want to read Luke 1, or Luke 3, 1 through 20. So let's jump in here and... Read through this. A powerful message from God came to John, Zechariah's son, when he was living out in the lonely wilderness. This prophetic commission came to John during the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, son of Caesar, Pontius Pilate, was governor over Judea at that time. Antipas, son of Herod, was governor over Galilee. Herod's brother Philip was over the region of Etoria and Trachonathus. And Linasus was over Abilene. This happened during the days of the two high priests, Ananias and Caiaphas. John went preaching and baptizing throughout the Jordan Valley. He persuaded people to turn away from their sin and turn to God for the freedom of forgiveness. Keep that in your back pocket. This was to fulfill what was written in the book of the prophet Isaiah. Listen, you will hear a thunderous voice in the lonely wilderness telling you to wake up and get your heart ready for the coming of the Lord Jehovah. Every twisted thing in your lives must be made straight. Every dark way must be brought to the light. Wrongs righted, injustices removed. Every heart of pride will be humbled low before him. Every deception will be exposed and replaced by the truth so that everyone, everywhere, will be ready to see the life of God. John kept preaching to the many crowds who came out to be baptized. You are nothing but the offspring of poisonous snakes, full of deception. Have you been warned to repent before the coming wrath of God? Then turn away from your sins. Turn to God. And prove it by a changed life. Don't think for a moment that it's enough to simply be the favored descendants of Abraham. That's not enough to save you. I'm telling you, God could make more sons of Abraham out of stones if he chose to. Even now, God's acts of judgment is coming poised to chop down your barren tree right to its roots. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be leveled and thrown into the fire. The crowd kept asking him, what then are we supposed to do? John told them, give food to the hungry, clothe the poor, 
and bless the needy. Even the despised tax collectors came to John to be baptized. And they asked him, what are we to do to prove our hearts have changed? Be honest, he replied. Don't demand more taxes than you are required to collect. And us, asked some soldiers, what about us? John answered them, be content with what you earn. Never extort money or terrify others by threats of violence or be guilty of accusing the innocent. During those days, everyone was gripped with messianic expectation, believing that the Messiah could come at any moment. And many began to wonder if John might be the Christ. But John made it clear by telling them, there is one coming who is mightier than I. He is supreme. In fact, I am even not worthy to be his slave. I can only baptize you in this river, but he will baptize you into the spirit of holiness and in his raging fire. He has in his hands a winnowing fork to clean up his threshing floor. He will separate the wheat from the chaff. The wheat he will gather into his barn, but he will burn the chaff in a fire that no one can put out. John used many similar warnings as he preached the good news and prepared the people. He even publicly rebuked Antipas, son of Herod, the governor of Galilee, for the many wicked things he had done. He fearlessly reprimanded him for seducing and marrying his sister-in-law, Herodias. Adding to his many other sins, Herod had seized up and locked up John in prison. John wasn't really scared to stand up for God. John was one of these people, you've heard the phrase, speak truth to power? <laughs> that was John. John spoke truth to power. He was like, hey, Herod, you've done all these evil things. You, you married your sister-in-law. Like, there's all this stuff you're doing wrong. And, like, he's calling out his sin. And not just of Herod. When the tax collectors came to him, when the soldiers came to him, he was speaking to all of them. He's like, get your life right, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's a powerful message. It's a powerful message. It demands self-reflection. Where am I in God? Who am I in God? Do I truly care to put God's kingdom first? Do I truly believe in not my will, but thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven? Or are we truly willing to lay down our lives in respect to the kingdom of God and service to Jesus? And it's hard. It's not easy. It's sometimes really complex. See, John had this authority from God when he spoke. The Holy Spirit empowered him. And when he would speak this message of repentance, when he would speak this message of coming to God, of laying down your sin and your shame and all of the things, as Michelle mentioned, that you're burdened with, that, that you've been carrying that are just not of God, like, are you willing to lay those down in service to Jesus? And each and every one of us has to answer that question. And I'm here to tell you I've been following God for a pretty long time now. Um, you end up doing it a lot. 
<laughs> at least if you're as big a sinner as I am, you do it a lot. Like, God, I did this, and then I did this thing, and, and then, Lord, I did this. And why do I keep doing the thing that I tell myself I'm not going to do is kind of a mirror of what Paul says. Like, why do I keep finding myself doing the same stupid thing that I keep doing over and over and over. It's like, I thought I was done with this. Like, my season of wrestling with this stupid thing was over, and then I do it again. Uh, the, I'm so glad we serve Jesus and not Zeus <laughs> or Odin or any other of your pantheon of gods that you, know, you might make up in pagan, <laughs> like, you know, I just, you know, the whole lightning bolt thing or hammer if you're dealing with Thor, you know, like just smashing you into paste, you know, like the, the, we have a God who went the whole other direction. I'm innocent and I'm going to sacrifice myself for your sin. He like went the whole other direction of every other religion in the world. And giving himself for us. Throughout the Old Testament, there's this Hebrew word, word Shema. And it's, it's a return to the love of Yahweh alone. With all their hearts. The people of Israel. This Shema. Prophets regularly used this word Shema to talk about turning to Yahweh. When the people of the Lord had turned away from God, started doing their own things, started worshiping other gods, started following false gods. The prophets would stand before their own people and proclaim the need for repentance. For the ancient Hebrew people, this concept, this, this word, this idea of Shema was both literal and figurative. It would re result in the restoration Oftentimes, when the people of Israel sinned before God, their land was taken from them. They were sent out. They, they went under the Babylonian rule or the Hittites. or like They would be destroyed. Their nation would be brought down to the ground. God had to crush them so that he could build them back up again. Has that ever happened to any of you? It's happened to me. I've been in times in my life where I, if I'm wrestling with something and I'm, I'm too proud to bring it before God, I find myself eventually pursuing this sin or this thing that's unhealthy for me in this place of just utter devastation. And like, Lord, I, don't, I literally don't have anywhere to turn but to you. Like, nobody can, can fix this except you, Jesus. And for the people of Israel, it was that way too. Like, they would live under foreign rule. You know, you know, you've heard the story of the Egyptians and the Red Sea and the plagues. And, and like, that was one of those times where just before that, they were following God. And then they decided not to. And so God put them in slavery under Egypt. So if repentance for them was both literal and figurative. It would result in a personal restoration for the people and a return from their exile. If you think about the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and the return of exile and the story of Nehemiah. And how God, through a series of decades, brought them out of their exile because their hearts started to turn back to him. And he started helping them rebuild. Many times, our pride 
our lack of repentance, our sin that we would rather have than God, brings us low and destroys us. And we need God to help us rebuild those walls, to bring us out of exile and back into his presence. And he's the only one who can do that. Our country as it stands now is where everything is about promoting yourself, right? I mean, we just had a Super Bowl. (laughs) It's all about promotion. Our local boy made big, right? (laughs) And he's, he's awesome and he's a follower of Jesus. But like, you know, there's this promotion thing. Like I have... I work at a middle school, for those who don't know, on my, my Monday through Friday. And I've, I've had teen girls in my office talking to me, who I'm, you know, you build relationship over time, um, literally cry because they posted a picture of themselves on Instagram and it didn't get enough likes. Like, but this wasn't fake. They felt the actual pain of rejection. They felt the rejection because they didn't get the response that they were looking for. And most of our society today is centered around promoting yourself. Like, look at me. See what I'm doing. Look how awesome I am. Look at how good my life is. You've heard people joke about, like, your Facebook life and then your real life. I've got a couple friends who they're like, they went the whole other direction, and I love it. It always makes me laugh. Like, here's a picture of my messy house with my full laundry. (laughs) Like, check it out. (laughs) Here's real life. I'm not just sitting on some beach drinking a Mai Tai, you know, (laughs) like this. Here's real life. My kids just blew through my house and there's junk everywhere (laughs) and crumbs on the floor and the dog's currently eating somebody's battery. Like, here's real life. You know, like, but this this promotion thing, like, we we, want to look like we have it all together, right? And I'm sure everyone knows someone who just seems completely incapable of admitting their faults. And, like, people, you know, in... uh, Hollywood and politics and sports. It's like you can never look like you made an error. You can't ever look like you made a mistake. God forbid I ever ask for forgiveness when I do something wrong. Right? I just can't. Because if I admit that I'm flawed, maybe people won't like me. Maybe they won't look out for me. Maybe they won't follow me anymore. And the more followers I have, the more money I make. And so if it's affecting my money, that's a big deal to me. And so I have to keep up this appearance. I have to keep up this look that I've got it all together. But here's the biblical truth. Here's the truth from Scripture. Is that only through repentance can you be healed. Only through repentance can you be restored. Only through accepting the salvation that Jesus Christ offers can we be made whole and healthy and well. I can tell you the times in my life when I'm truly close to God, when I, when I truly sense the Holy Spirit in me, when I'm, when I'm, you know, I've had moments in my life where I'm praying and, and I just... I, like, I sense the presence of God with me. 
Like, he, like he's like right there with me. And it's so much better than the shame and the guilt and the heartache I feel after I've majorly screwed up. And if I could just keep in mind the difference between those two, <laughs> like if I could remember how good I feel, like how amazing it is to feel whole in God, and then the ugly heartache and shame that I feel when I screw up. <laughs> and like a lot of times when I do that too, like I have to go admit it to other people. And so now, now not only do my people know that I've got this issue, and then I have to take it to God, and he, you know, and God forgives me, sometimes people don't, right? I mean, that's just truth. We're just being real. And so sometimes we have to work our way back from that. John the Baptist talked about making the crooked roads straight and the rough places smooth. And so one of my questions for you this morning is, what are some crooked or rough places in your life? Can you, as you look at yourself, as you, as you consider what I've been talking about this morning, what are some crooked or rough places in your life? And what might it mean to you if you could know that God loves you and that he forgives you and that he wants to see you whole and well in him? Is that, guys, is, scripture tells us that God's will is that no one should perish but that everyone would have everlasting life. If you want to know how God feels about you, there it is. That he sent his only son to die for you. That's how God feels about you. That's the love and the forgiveness. That's our good news, you guys. It is good news that Jesus paid the price. It's good news that I'm forgiven. It's good news that because of Jesus, I can stand before God and he looks at me and I look holy. Isn't that weird thought? Like, that's a weird thought to me. Because I know how messed up I am. But I know through Scripture that in Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, I can stand before God whole and holy. And that's incredible. C.S. Lewis said this, Progress means getting nearer to the place you want to be. And if you've taken a wrong turn then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. Sometimes we feel like we're going backwards in our walk with God, right? It's like, God, well, I did this, and, and you used me in this way, and I did these things, and now look at me. Where is all that? What happened? Or like, God, I was following you. I, you know, I, I was engaging in the spiritual disciplines. I was praying to you. My ears were open for your words. Like, like you were using me in the grocery store to pray for random people. Like, like, God, what happened? And according to Lewis, and empirical evidence, and I can tell you from my own life, sometimes we have to turn around and go back to where we started 
and get back on that path where we began so that we can progress along the right road. Because sometimes we take a wrong turn. Sometimes there's a why in the road that you come to and you hook left when you should have gone right. And so if you turn around and go back to that why and head down the right road, you're making more progress than the stubborn, proud person who says, nope, this is the road I chose, so I'm just going to keep going down it. It doesn't matter how ugly it is. It doesn't matter how bad I feel. It doesn't matter that I'm getting further away from God. This is the road I chose, and so this is the road I'm on. And forget anybody else who tells me to go the other way. I've been on that road. I've been down that road. It doesn't work because that road is literally a road to nowhere. Thought about making an ACDC song reference. Those of you who know it, just make it for yourselves. But like, like it takes you nowhere. It literally takes you nowhere. And so to truly proceed, you've got to turn around and come back. King David who scripture says is a man after God's own heart, saw this chick that he really liked. The problem is she was someone else's girl. And so David decided, well, I'm king. Since I am in charge, and basically I have ultimate authority. Old school kings in Israel were a little fascist, maybe. But like, you know, Nothing can happen to me. So, like, he decided, since he wanted this girl, that he would, her husband was one of his soldiers, that he would send him to the front lines to get killed on purpose so that he could then get his girl. And it worked. He got him killed. And he got his girl. It worked. Yay, David. Like backdoor adultery kind of thing. So this happened. And then this prophet, again, these Old Testament prophets, man, they like to speak truth to power. The prophet Nathan came to him and told him this story about these two lambs. And David got really indignant because this one guy, this rich man stole this poor man's lamb. He stole it. Took it from him. And David got indignant. He's like, that dude needs to be punished. And then Nathan, like, drops the bomb on him, and he's like, yeah, that rich man's you. You're the one who stole that lamb. This guy only had one wife. You've got hundreds of wives, because it was a thing back then. Don't ask me why. I don't get it, but whatever. It was a thing. Um, and so he took his wife, and David felt this remorse, like, like it hit him, just what he did. And I'm going to read a good chunk of Psalms 51, which is David's song, because David was a musician. So as musicians do, he wrote a song of repentance. God, give me mercy from your fountain of forgiveness. I know your abundant love is enough to wash away my guilt, because your compassion is so great. Take away this shameful guilt of sin. Forgive the full extent of my rebellious ways and erase this deep stain on my conscience. For I 
am ashamed. I feel such pain and anguish within me. I can't get away from the sting of my sin against you, Lord. Everything I did, I did right in front of you, and you saw it all. Against you, and above all, have I sinned. Everything you say to me is infallibly true, and your judgment conquers me. Lord, I have been a sinner from my birth, from the moment my mother conceived me. I know that you delight to set up your truth deep in my spirit. So come in the hidden places of my heart and teach me wisdom. Purify my conscience. Make this leper clean again. Wash me in your love until I'm pure in heart. Satisfy me in your sweetness and my song of joy will return. The places within me you have crushed will rejoice in your healing touch. Hide my sins from your face. Erase all my guilt by your saving grace. Create in me a clean heart. Fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires, ready to please you. May you never reject me. May you never take me from your spirit. Let my passion for life be restored, tasting joy in every breakthrough you bring to me. Hold me close to you with a willing spirit that obeys whatever you say. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? A beautiful song? David knew the value of God's forgiveness. David understood the value of God wiping away his conscience, of making his conscience clean, of being able to stand before God and man whole and well again. And that's that's God's will for you guys today too. So we're going to do a little act of repentance together. Ryan, could I have you come up? So set up in the back of the church, I have a sin shredder. I know, I'm being a little goofy this morning, and I'm okay with it. Here's what I want you to do. There should be pens in front of you. I asked all of you to get a little index card. I would love for you to do this activity, and I'm going to do it too. I want you to write something on here that keeps you from God or that you know is not God's will for your life. Just something that kind of pulls you away from God. Something that you're wrestling with in your heart. And that like David, you would love for God to wipe that clean. That your conscience could be whole and pure before him. That you could stand before God like strong and in confidence. And so we're going to write something on there. My shredder back there is set to auto. So all you have to do is stick the piece of paper in there, and it's like God's grace and forgiveness shredder is going to do the rest. Like it's going to shred that thing, and you can walk out of here in confidence that this thing you've been wrestling with, this, this repentance that you need from God, that it's, you're good that it's done. And so if you're, if you're truly serious about this, I want you to do that. And after you've done that, I want to invite you to take your communion. Standing right before God and knowing that he loves you and he died for you, we're going to take communion in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. 
So we're going to go ahead and take a few moments. Go ahead and write something down. I'm going to go get a pen and write it down as well. We're going to take communion, and then we're going to do one last worship song. Scripture from John. So John 8, starting at verse 34. I speak eternal truth, Jesus said. When you sin, you are not free. You've become a slave in bondage to your sin. And slaves have no personal permanent standing in a family like a son does. For a son is a part of the family forever. So if the Son sets you free from sin, then become a true Son and be unquestionably 
free. See, when Jesus sets you free, there is absolutely no question anymore whatsoever that you are truly free. And that identity part, I feel like so much in our world anymore, we wrestle with our identity. Who am I? Who do other people think I am? Who does society think I am? Who does God think I am? Like we, we wrestle with this identity. And so if we can get the word of God truly implanted in our heart and know that we stand as sons and daughters when Jesus forgives us, and we can stand in that, and we have the strength and the authority to tell the enemy to take a hike because I'm God's. So you have no power over me. You have no authority over me. You can't mess with me because I'm not yours. I'm God's. I'm Jesus's. I love that word, unquestionably free. So I'm going to pray over communion, and we'll take communion together, and then we're going to sing one last worship song. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you that through you, we have been forgiven. Those who the sun sets free are free indeed. Jesus, help us to own that. That we are no longer under the condemnation of sin and death, but that you paid the price and we are free. Just thank you for that, God. Jesus, we give you all glory and our worship, God, that you set us free from sin and death. And so, Lord, as you asked us, to take the bread and take the, the juice or wine in remembrance of what you did for us. Lord, we, we fulfill that request that you made of us this morning, Lord God. So Lord, would you bless these communion elements to us as we stand before you healed and free from sin. Amen.
Jesus, give us your grace. Jesus, give us your He who the Son sets free is free indeed. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. I proclaim freedom over you in the name of Jesus Christ. That every chain of sin and death would be broken right now in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would no longer be a slave, but you are free in the name of Jesus Christ. I speak freedom to you. Be free in the name of Jesus. Stand strong and firm in full confidence before your Father God that he loves you and he cares about you, that he accepts you as one of his own, that you are a son or a daughter of his. You are no longer under any earthly obligation. You are not under any earthly dominion. You stand before Father God and you're a son and a daughter of a new kingdom. And you are free in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for our freedom, God. We thank you for our freedom, Jesus. Thank you for our freedom, God. We're going to get a little charismatic up here for a minute. That's how I was raised, so it's going to happen. Uh, I just We're going to take a moment. Can I get everybody to stand? I, I want you to just express, clap, stomp, yell, call out, whatever. Just praise to Jesus, just in gratitude and thankfulness for what, for the freedom that he's given us. So I'm gonna turn off my mic because we all know I get a little bit loud, so.
Jesus, you are
Your breath.